You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, Greg, look into that camera and tell the world where you're going to be playing your college football. Uh, but for the next two years, I'll be going to the University of Nebraska. The, U- <laughs> the University of Nebraska. Well, I've been a Husker for a long time, and it's crazy to think that now it's official. I'm on my way, but I've, I've known those days have been coming for a long time, so it's just I'm just glad to be here. A lot of these kids we've known for a long time. You know, one thing we weren't going to do is just sign kids to fill spots. Uh, we want kids that we know can come be good people and, and become good football players. And we have a lot of work left to do here in January, but I'm excited about the guys that are on board. And I think a lot of things will shake out after this signing day. Uh, so we'll know which kids are still available and which ones we can go after. And welcome here to another edition of the Oscar Online Show. It is our post-pre-signing day edition as we've had a much busier December on this website than any of us can remember in a long time. Nebraska now officially has signed 11 commits uh, to their 2018 class. Uh, They're still waiting on C.J. Smith to sign. He could be 12. There's a couple of other things out there that could bring that number up maybe to 14, possibly 15 um, before the the weekend's done, just depending on how things shake out and obviously Mastery Maypoo's academic situation. But uh, they've got these first names in the bag. Um, and really the, the big news on signing day, I thought, was Nebraska edging out Tennessee for a pair of junior college prospects that could come in and play right away, um, potentially as starters. Jerron Woodyard, um, a receiver that runs a 10-6 in the 100. Uh, but then I think really the, the steal of the class for Nebraska may be Greg Bell, the running back. And you heard him make his announcement on signing day on local TV in San Diego. Um, was a two-time junior college All-American running back, six foot 200 pounds. Uh, 2,400 rushing yards, Nate. Um, And you feel like he, for whatever reason, slid under the radar. And I think if signing day, if he was a guy that was going to go into January, February, uh, I don't know if Nebraska gets this guy. Yeah, I definitely feel for for being a two-time first-team junior college All-American running back um, at a at a you know at a program that's fairly high profile. You know, Arizona Western played for the junior college national championship this past year, so uh, I do feel like that, that he he probably garnered, needed to or deserved more attention than he probably got. Uh, so I, I think Nebraska's getting a steal uh, there, uh, and he's definitely going to have a shot to come in and, and make some noise. I mean, all these junior college guys, really, uh, they're all mid-year guys. They're, they'll be on campus here in just a couple weeks, and and they're, they're motivated to come in and, and make a difference and, and earn a spot right away. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus as – uh, we'd look at this early signing class, Robin, for Nebraska. Scott Frost um, took questions on a conference call for about 20 minutes as he's down in Orlando, uh, still getting ready for the Peach Bowl. Um, though the play, They're practicing this week, and then they'll have some time off before going out to Atlanta on the 26th. Um, I really thought – I was impressed with Frost's comments. Um, you know, he, he said – he said what needed to be said, but I, you know, you and I both talked like he didn't really have a lot of just throwaway comments. I mean, I thought everything he said had some pretty good meaning to it. 
uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, and not only did he say you know a lot of good quote-worthy stuff, uh, he sent some messages, I think. Um, he basically laid it out that they expect attrition to happen. Um, basically, just kind of said it that um, guys aren't going to like what we're going to do over the next few winter months of uh, winter conditioning, and we're probably going to lose some guys. So right now, we have we expect 19, uh, a class of 19 um, for, for this recruiting class, but it's probably going to be over 20 when all is said and done because guys are not going to be around much longer. So, I mean, I think that in itself, um, was a pretty intriguing tone setter. And he also kind of shed some light on his philosophy with junior college players. I mean, um, they took, you know, a handful of JUCO guys for the first time since, what was it, 2014? And so, I mean, it's been a long run. And not only they get JUCO guys, like you mentioned, they got some pretty top-level um, recruits there. And so he kind of made it clear that, um, you know, you don't want to make a living off junior college recruits because that's when you kind of get yourself into trouble with class balance. But uh, you definitely, as he said, I think you're crazy if you rule out any option or method of getting players who can help you win football games. And that's exactly what they did. Um, He pointed out that he was startled with the lack of depth at wide receiver, at defensive back, uh, and then, you know, some of the other uh, just numbers across the board where um, their ideal number number of scholarship guys wasn't where they wanted it to be. And so they made a, a concerted effort to get immediate impact players that can help address some of those voids. Nate, when you look at the total class right now, the early class, the early return of the 11 signees and that we talked about that could grow, what jumps out to you the most right now about the early group Nebraska is bringing in? Well, I think it is the junior college guys, um, and they've got a good group of early enrollees. You know, out of the the guys that have signed, seven of those players are going to be on campus in a couple weeks, and of those seven, uh, I think you could legitimately see six of those guys, um, you know, possibly earn early playing time. You know, obviously the junior college guys in there, and um, you know, I think out of the early enrollees, maybe only. Uh, Will Farniak is you got Barrett you know, Pickering and who else the kicker and then the three JUCO guys and who would be and Will Farniak who would be the other guys uh, and, Justin McGriff is going to be coming in early um, and a couple others here uh, but, is Tate Wildeman an early guy no he's not um, but basically out of the early guys Adrian Martinez Adrian Martinez obviously um, I mean Will Farniak out of those early guys will probably be heading towards a red shirt uh, as most offensive linemen do when they come into the program. But uh, I think that you're, you're, you're having an infusion of talent, especially with those junior college guys, Woodyard, Bell, uh, Williams. Those guys are, are going to be coming in, and, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll shake, shake some things up here during winter conditioning and, and during spring ball, obviously. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss the early signing class for Nebraska. We're going to talk a lot more about it all throughout the show, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Adrian Martinez, the quarterback, and, and kind of what he brings. Um, that was my first question to Coach Frost on Wednesday, and and he said that of all the quarterbacks in the country, he felt Adrian Martinez was the number one ranked quarterback uh, for his system, and he felt feels like they have a lot to sell to recruits. This offense led the nation in scoring. It consistently is a top offense year in and year out, no matter where it's been, and it's going to be attracted to recruits. Uh, Martinez will be here early, enrolled. Um, uh, that that quarterback competition, Robin, is to me. Um, there's going to be a lot of storylines in the spring, but that that might be the top one to watch. That's easily the top one, in my opinion, because, uh, I mean, there's uh, basically a blank slate there with the only guy that was really recruited to play this offense being a true freshman uh, that, you know, w- w- how long has it been since he played a game? 
Come not since his junior year. Yeah, and so, I mean, there's a lot of just X factors that we just have no clue about. And we're right? assuming Tanner Lee won't yeah, be back. We that, don't know. We that's don't another know. assumption right there. And yeah. we got to assume, are, are both of those, you know, uh, Patrick O'Brien and Tristan Jebby, are they going to be back? I mean, are they going to stick it out or are they going to pursue elsewhere? We, we don't know. It's going to be by far the biggest storyline because, as we've seen, uh, that quarterback position is, like with most offenses, uh, the heartbeat of what Scott Frost does. When they have an elite-level quarterback, you get results like they had last year at Central Florida. So, I mean, I think that that's um, going to be very interesting, not only how uh, Martinez transitions to the college game after such a long time off, but how those new guys, who I think are physically capable of running this offense uh, you know, pretty well, uh, how they adjust to this new coaching staff to this new offensive philosophy and are they actually you know going to be good fits in the long run the thing about adrian martinez and scott frost here for me heading into the spring are uh, is the fact that that scott frost has a track record of of not being afraid to start a freshman when you look at what he did with mckenzie milton uh when he took over at central florida he went out and found the very best guy that he uh, could uh, to run his system. He brought him in, and, and he basically threw him right into the fire. Uh, I think he and Milton kind of took his lumps that first year. Uh, I think they, they went what, right around 500 and barely made a bowl game that first year. Uh, but that second year, you, that's when you saw everything click. Obviously, they went on and had an undefeated uh, regular season. And um, you know, so I, he has a track record of not being afraid to to throw a throw a true freshman in there. So um, I think we'll get our first glimpse of exactly um, how much rust Adrian Martinez has on him uh, for having not played his senior year uh, during the Under Armour All American game because he is planning to play in that in that game on January fourth. All right, when we come back, Nate and I are going to go through the signees and discuss all those guys next here as we continue the special signing day, post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, But when I was evaluating quarterbacks, for this class a long time ago. Uh, Adrian was my favorite guy in the country, and um, we didn't think we had a chance to get him at our, our previous school, but now getting to Nebraska, he was interested. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show, the segment of the show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. Get on into Tanner's. As uh, plenty of bowl games starting up, college football and pro football, even basketball, it's your place to go to get the best wings around. Uh, Burger night on Wednesday nights. It's Tanner's with seven locations in Omaha and Lincoln. Uh, and should we bring ba- bring you back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as we discuss more of this signing day class for the Big Red, Nate. And y- you go down the list, and it's going to be interesting just to see, Nate, how this early signing day works out. Um, just when all the dust settles through the weekend, um, when we can really kind of slice and dice who has signed, um, what the numbers are for each school, and then maybe compare and contrast that to the signing numbers that we see in February and, and what the percentages are going to be. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think there are a lot more guys that signed early than I had anticipated. I, I thought that you know there'd be a lot of kids that would be taking kind of a wait and see approach with exactly how this was going to go down. Um, you know, since it was all so brand new, uh, and, and and also you know, with just the 
um, you know, with just being able to lock yourself in right away. Um, you know, especially with some of the, a lot of the big time guys. Um, I mean, twenty out of twenty six five stars across the country signed early. You, those are usually the guys that wait all the way up until you know four o'clock on signing day to have a huge giant long drawn out ceremony to to sign and and so um I, I think that's a pretty good indication of just how many kids across the country ended up signing early and um you know how different that was and, and i think that maybe part of that reason was because a lot of coaches were pushing guys to to go ahead and get in the boat uh so that that's going to be kind of fascinating in, in terms of what's net next for nebraska uh, you know what? What guys are now all of a sudden available? Because if you didn't sign early, that pretty much says that you're you're a free agent, that you're back out on the market. To me, uh, you know, for the most part, there there are some circumstances out there that obviously are, are a little bit different. But um, yeah, this is going to be real fascinating to see exactly what this thing looks like uh, after after this weekend's over with. Nate, to me, the one really flawed thing about the new rule this year was the official visit calendar was not moved up. Um, so prospects that were signing uh, still could had to wait until September 1st to take visits, where now moving forward for 2019 and beyond, prospects can start taking their officials in April, May, and June, and then they can still sign in December. So I thought that was maybe the biggest flaw of the new rule, that opportunities – for prospects to take visits were very limited because a lot of kids can't do visits during the season. A lot of schools, uh, we know Nebraska uses the visits during the season, but a lot of schools just don't bring in players during the season because of the logistics involved uh, of how it works. So you were left with essentially three weekends after Thanksgiving to bring guys in. And if you were in a conference championship game, that eliminated you. A team like Boise State had a conference title game a week of recruiting, and then a bowl game week in Vegas. So they only had one week and they could bring guys in. So I think there were some things that jumped out to me that this first year brought. But I'll be curious how next year will change when guys can come in in April, May, and June. Yeah, that, that's going to change uh, things drastically, in my opinion. I, I think that um, you know, there's some schools that probably have a legitimate gripe with the way the schedule came out this year, especially you mentioned Boise State. I mean, I don't think they're a program that, that brings in a lot of guys during the season. Uh, it's probably, I don't know how easy Pretty hard it is. to get guys into Boise. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, they, they got a lot of stuff going against them right now. And then the uh, the fact of the matter that they're only ha- able to really utilize one weekend in, de- in December, uh, you know, they're they're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. So I'm sure they've got uh, legitimate beef with with how everything played out. But um, being able to open it up for these juniors now uh, entering the spring to be able to take official visits for a handful of months before uh, the dead period of the summer or quiet period, whatever. Uh, and then when things start back up during the fall, I think that'll that'll uh, you know help a lot of different schools out there uh, be able to bring in some guys early. Yeah, and that's what we don't know, Nate. What that's going to be like now is it ten? Like, do you know what the window is? Is it like a ten week window, eight week? I mean, what will be the April? Will it be April first to June thirtieth? I mean, do you have have they put out the window on the visits going forward for it, next year? It's my understanding that it it begins in April and then it ends the last Wednesday of June. June. So that's where that's where the push for a summer signing day is going to come in down the road, I think. And I believe the coaches won an early signing day, but I don't think they won it in December. I think pref- 
if the coaches had their preference, the signing day would fall maybe in August or just just before things. But then you run into academic questions because yep. um, if you sign a guy that has work to do um, and then he doesn't make it, that counts on your number. So there's a lot of debate about this. But I think the rule was mainly put in because people were so tired of getting poached mm-hmm. uh, by the big dogs. And I do think this rule has helped over half of college football. The lower-level teams in the Power Five, in the group of five, if they had guys committed, they can lock those guys up. They don't have to worry about bigger programs coming in in January and poaching their guys away days before signing day. I think the FCS teams really win on this new rule as well because a lot of their guys might have been poached too. So uh, the teams that probably are the biggest losers are the top dogs in college football. Yeah, Nick Saban hates this rule uh, for a variety of reasons because now, um, you know, on one hand, he's got he's got a lot of guys that are that are now locked in uh, to his signing class that he can't pull a scholarship from. Uh, or talking to gray shirting or, or taking some sort of, you know, whatever deal uh, towards the end of signing day. Um, so he, he's got these guys locked in. And, and also he can't, he can't really flip, um, you know, too many big-time guys at the end. So uh, he was very vocal about, uh, about, his, about not liking the way that this rule is and uh, being against the early signing period. But uh, on the other hand, you know, there's, like you mentioned, there's, I think, a lot of group of five and, and S. CS programs obviously um, are huge benefactors from how this thing works. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show, the segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln, as uh, we give some thoughts on this early signing day class for Nebraska. Um, Nate, now Scott Frost mentioned this that you know they, they only have whatever they have now. It's 11 uh, guys signed. Uh, but really 12 if you count Cam Jones and then uh, – or not, excuse me, not Cam Jones, but C.J. Smith and then potentially 13 if Mapu makes it. Uh, but then you're looking at guys like Cam Jones and others. I mean, what do you think? If you had to just guess now, how do you see this number growing? Um, and how, much, how many more guys do you think they add in February? Well, I, I think the class is going to end up being – you know, probably 22, 23. Um, you know, I, I know uh, obviously Scott Frost said yesterday that 19, but he's expecting it to, to be over 20. Um, you know, th- what's going to be interesting is, okay, how many guys are, um, let Scott Frost know that they're going to be leaving the program here in the next couple of weeks before the second semester starts? And then how many guys do Scott Frost and his staff go ahead and, and kind of uh, – you know, have a good idea that that are you know things aren't going to work out for them by the end of this second semester. But you got to have some more to go though, and that's the challenge. I think yeah. for a guy to leave, they're not going to leave without an option in hand. Mm-hmm. And 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 how many of these guys that will leave or would want to leave are good enough to have quality options? And that that's the difference between everyone complains. Oh, the SEC does it. Well, those guys leaving the SEC have about three or four legitimate good options to go to. Some of these guys in Nebraska, they're not going to have. If they're not good here, they're not going to have a lot of good options. Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's it's going to be it's going to be pretty interesting to to see how it how it works um, and and kind of you know how many guys you know Coach Frost 
can can kind of foresee you know if he's if he's looking at looking into the future uh, and, and, and kind of earmarking some guys that probably aren't going to work out, you know, how how they can maybe help those guys land on their feet elsewhere or whatever. But, um, you know, the bottom line is that I think the staff is all about maximizing this class, um, trying to bring in as many players as possible, especially at certain positions that are extremely thin on the roster. So um, I, I think I think bare minimum we're going to see 21-22. And, and I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I've been saying I wouldn't be surprised if it gets all the way up to 24, maybe even 25. Yeah, a lot is this who's available, I think, mm-hmm. too. And, and that will be something we'll talk about a lot going forward. And uh, we'll continue recruiting discussion here uh, throughout the show, but uh, we are going to shift over to basketball here as Nebraska basketball got a win uh, Wednesday night against UTSA. They got a big game now Friday just to get another win an opportunity um, to try to get some momentum going in back to the Big Ten schedule. So we'll have Robin Washett join us next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, quite frankly, you know, the same date as a couple years ago, I saw that today and that made me a little uneasy, but I, I think it, it, it could have been very easily a game that we maybe not hung around with. Just like Eastern Illinois, I think we showed some toughness uh, mentally and uh, just did enough and have enough talent too uh, to be better. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was Nebraska basketball coach Tim Miles as the Huskers were a 104-94 winner over UTSA on Wednesday night in Pinnacle Bank Arena. It was a a new uh, PBA record that was shattered. It was the most points, Robin, as we bring Robin Washington, Nebraska scored since, what, 2005? Yeah, December 19th, 2005. Who was that against? It was against, I can tell you right now, it was against North Carolina A&T when they scored 107 points. Well, and what was interesting about that game Wednesday night as Nebraska pulled that out is it started out really ugly. I mean, we want to say at the under 16. 3-2. to 3-2. At and, the first media timeout. And, and at the under 12, it really wasn't that high. Yeah, so it's uh, <laughs> kind of a freak show way that that game ended. I think that what the difference was that uh, – uh, the second half turned into a total just shootout. UTSA caught fire and I think made um, you know about 80% of their shots to start off the second half, and then it was basically just a back and forth. And um, the bad news is, you know, Nebraska's defense really looked, um, you know, below average at best, especially their on-ball defense on the perimeter. They were letting guys drive right past them to the hole, getting easy layups. But at the same time, some of the shots Texas San Antonio was making. Trash shots. Yeah, I mean – sometimes the shots go your way, but they knew that going in, that that was their style. I mean, that's the way they play. Tim Miles said that there's a team that, uh, you know, any shot is a good shot as long as it's a quick shot. And that was exactly how it played out in the second half. And um, so, again, they gave up 94 points. But this is a team that came in a top 20 team nationally in scoring average at about 87 points per game. So, I mean, that really wasn't all that different than what they've done. Uh, They scored, I think, almost – they scored over 80 against Oklahoma. So, you know, I mean, this is a team that can do that to you. But the good – you know, the silver lining of all this is Nebraska once again – held tough, and found a way to win. In previous years, this is a game Nebraska loses, and Tim Miles said as much. He was asked that directly after the game. You know, when you look at, you know, the last three years in, in a game in this situation, was this something that you would your team would lose uh, with, with a different roster? And he said, yeah, probably. Uh, but the resilience that Nebraska showed, I mean, albeit against an inferior opponent at home, 
um, I think was encouraging because it's a leather, it got dicey. Yeah, it did get dicey. It was tied five times in the second half, but the Roadrunners could never take the lead. And so, you know, say, they had some good shots to take the lead on. They did. And so, you know, say what you want about, you know, Nebraska's performance. Um, it was another instance of this team finding a way to win down the stretch and holding tough, you know, when things aren't looking that great. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we discuss Nebraska basketball. I know a lot of recruiting talk here tonight or today, but uh, Huskers now have two more uh, what you'd call guarantee games on the schedule uh, coming up the next two Friday nights. Um, it will be interesting to see kind of the attendance and the atmosphere. These are typically the hardest games to fill other than maybe random football Saturday basketball games. Uh, but Nebraska did a little bit of schedule adjusting to, to play on the 22nd and the 29th. Um, you would hope maybe that kind of juices up the atmosphere a little bit versus that Sunday noon game or um, yeah. random Christmas shopping Saturday afternoon <laughs> game that just no one has time to attend. Um, so it, it will be. And to me, Robin, it's it's to, if you're Tim Miles right now, it's all about just getting to ten and five. I don't care how you do it. No doubt, you got to be at ten and five when you get back into Big Ten conference play. Style points are not an issue at all for this team. It doesn't matter how they win, how ugly it looks, whatever. The final score is all that matters for this team, and so that's why you know I don't I don't put a whole lot of stock in you know, the fact that they gave up 94 against Texas San Antonio. It was a win. They needed a win. They had lost three of their last four games, and so this. This is a team that has essentially a benchmark to where, you know, you got to get right about 18 wins, in my opinion, to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. And so to have, you know, double digit wins right at 10 coming out of non-com play, uh, I think that's probably a pretty good spot. It's probably on the low end of where you want to be, but you're still on pace for where you thought you needed to be going into the season. So yeah, I'm with you. Uh, The fact that those games are on Friday nights is huge. You know, holiday weekend, there's gonna be a lot of family in town. People are going to look for something to do. And so the fact that that's on a Friday night, like you mentioned, and not some like Wednesday, I don't know if Mark Bain or who who made the call on that, but I think that might be the way to do it here. Um, yeah, because last the Wednesday night game, I mean, it was dead in there. It was like, uh, I mean, there's still ten thousand actual there, which, but they were not very interested in getting all that rowdy. I mean, it, it was it was quiet, and Nebraska needed to create its own energy, which again makes the way that they you know responded that much more impressive. Yeah, and then now you have Delaware State, who is two and eleven, they're coming, terrible coming in Friday, and then Stenson before the break, so. Um, it, how, how will they do that? They'll play, um, and then will he give the players a few days to go home if they can go home, or do they keep? I mean, what do they do from that seven that that seven day break after the game on Friday? Yeah, it's, it's hard, you know, because it is it's a, a that window that is you know long enough to potentially go home, but at the same time, costs money. Yeah, there's money involved. There's just logistics involved. You know, guys live on the East Coast, and so um, you know a lot of times that just doesn't work out, and it's easier to keep guys on campus. So I would imagine that they'll probably just keep guys around. Um, you know, do some holiday stuff together as a team. Um, you know, maybe give them a day or two off to do with as they please but uh, you know you gotta you gotta keep these guys on a schedule when you give them too much time that's when uh you know focus gets lost and you know you start running into some potential issues with just being prepared to play next time out so they kind of ran into that a little bit um you know between that creighton and kansas game when they had a full week of you know finals week so guys were just kind of more focused on school Uh, they only practiced a handful of times and so you know that this is kind of one of those uh, issues where there are no classes and you got to keep guys on task and not let them you know, get too far away from basketball. And let's, uh, as we kind of wrap our discussion up here on Nebraska basketball, let's recap and talk a little Kansas as well. I mean, that was 
about as close to a moral victory as you're going to get. I mean, Nebraska legitimately should have won that game uh, when you look how it finished out. I mean, Kansas, give them all the credit. They hit a big shot. Um, but you could really kind of slice and dice Nebraska's strategy there at the end and how they operated with two timeouts, not using timeouts to set up a last shot or uh, manage that possession better, and, and even just how they defended that last play where Kansas hit the three. I mean, there's a lot of things you can look at, but um, I, I think a lot of people left PBA, even though they lost, very encouraged. Um, but it's just, you know, this is such a, a weird schedule, Rob, because Nebraska opens up with two more road games. Uh, before they're home again. So after the December 29th game, Nebraska, Robin, will not be home again until January 9th against Wisconsin. Yeah, and that's kind of the downside of this conference schedule is it starts off with three or first four on the road uh, against Northwestern, who's, you know, they're they're right in the conversation. Purdue, who might be the second best team in the conference, and then Penn State, who is much, much better than, you know, most people would want to admit. Uh, you know, that recruiting class Pat Chambers put together a couple years ago is starting to pay off. So uh, that's, that's a pretty daunting stretch right there to open things up. But again, uh, if you can keep your head above water, it sets up pretty well when February rolls around because you have, what, four of your final five games at Pinnacle Bank Arena. And so, you know, this kind of sets up the exact same way it did in 2013-14, where at one point Nebraska was 9-9, nine and nine, and all of a sudden they got red hot and ended up making the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, that's why I say every win is crucial. And it doesn't matter how you get it, how pretty it looks. Uh, the, the the benchmark is, like I said, right about 18 wins. And if they if they can do anything they can to get there, I think Nebraska can be in a prime spot to, to make a berth. Yeah, you close the Big Ten schedule with Rutgers at home. Who is much better. Maryland at home. At Illinois, which Illinois is kind bad. Of in transition. Indiana at home. Who's really bad. Penn State at home. So you're right. It's a very... The year they made the tournament, they had a really nice schedule at mm-hmm. the end that allowed them to get a run and build momentum before uh, No Sit Sunday and the knockoff went over Wisconsin. Um, you know, there's an opportunity if they can just hold serve and keep it respectable on some of these these Big Ten games that they could make some noise. You're right, Robin, and 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 be in the discussion. But let's get the ten and five first, and then worry about that as the season goes along. As as we've learned over the years, um, don't assume anything with Nebraska basketball. Yeah, I mean, basically, if they can win their home games, they're going to be in prime spot, and then find a way to steal, you know, one or two on the road. I, I mean, again, I think that's going to be a legitimate possibility that they're going to be on that bubble conversation. All right, when we come back, we're bringing in Husker Online intern Matt Reynolds. And we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Um, I think the University of Nebraska sells itself. Um, the history and the tradition there sell themselves. It hasn't been where it needs to be. And I think the time's right and our staff's right to get it back. But we've had a, a dominant defense down here at UCF with the guys that I'm bringing to Lincoln. We had the number one offense in the country and we're looking for those guys to help us do the same thing in the Big Ten. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was head coach Scott Frost on the Big Ten Network after signing day, uh, giving his sales pitch to recruits in the limited time that he had. And um, as we bring this signing day show forward, uh, we bring in Matt Reynolds and Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we take your questions in the mailbag. Matt, what do you have for us this week on the mailbag? Well, starting off, everybody likes grades. So grade Frost on his first early signing day. What did he do well and what could have gone better? I think the overall grade is still incomplete. There's too many pieces that we don't know. Um, Will Honus being one, Cam Jones, um, C.J. Smith, that you want to get him signed. I, I just think there's some unknown factors, but 
I love the junior college element, getting that back. They got three difference makers. The quarterback is an A. Um, I mean, they they went from not taking a quarterback in this class to getting maybe the best possible guy on the market. So that impresses me. Um, still, though, some concerns about the receivers in the secondary long term, I think. If they get the guys they want to close this thing out, I don't know how you don't give it an A. Uh, especially when you consider the circumstances the staff has had to operate under, uh, you know, tr- basically having two weeks with the first ever early signing period to kind of scramble after officially taking the job to hit the ground running the way they did, all while coaching another team during bowl prep. Uh, it's been downright remarkable what they've done so far. And if they end up getting a few more of those top guys that are still on their list, um, I mean, that's about as good of an effort as you could possibly hope for for a staff taking over in year one. Yeah, I think right now, I'd, I'd, if I'm going to assign it a letter grade, I'd, I'd give it a uh, probably a B or a B plus, uh, just because of the amount of work that that took place in a short amount of time. Um, you know, they they hosted 13 official visitors that weren't already committed to Nebraska. Uh, they closed on I think now seven of those guys, um, and if they do add a guy like a, a Will Honus here. Um, you know, or Messiah Swinson, you know, some couple guys like that that are still out there uh, that could possibly sign before the end of this early signing period is over, uh, then it would certainly be an A for me. Well, in two and a half weeks, this staff has signed more JUCOs than the previous staff did in three years. So looking on on on-field talent and on-field projections, what's the the realistic goal for these inbound JUCOs? Well, it's to be an immediate starter or or contributor right away. And I think when you look back at it for Mike Riley, that has to be one of his biggest regrets. He misread that situation. I think he thought high school players could develop and, and, and they wouldn't have to go that route. But the history and the formula of Nebraska football has always had an element of junior college players and Prop 48 recruits all the way back to when Tom Osborne is here. And that was one of the reasons why Nebraska always had success because they were able to create a formula with the players they did, and they added those kinds of guys with that. I think when you look at the guys they're bringing in, Greg Bell has a legitimate chance to push to be the starting running back. Uh, I think Deontay Williams um, could be a corner that contends for a starting job right away. We know Jerron Woodyard with his speed and what Nebraska loses at receiver is going to be on the field. So I really love this. And if Will Honus comes, a pretty good chance he starts at linebacker. Yeah, I mean, you don't bring in junior college guys to redshirt or be you know just a backup. I mean, these are, these are guys that you expect to be instant impact type players, and um, not only you know are those do they fit that mold, but like I said, they're they're elite level players that you would expect um, to not only like I said, Sean, push for starting jobs. And so I I think all three of those, and if they get Honus, uh, I think all four um, could definitely play a major factor for Nebraska starting next season. Yeah, not only does Nebraska expect these guys the to have the ability to come in and make an instant impact. Uh, these guys are hungry. They, they, they uh, coming from the JUCO ranks, you know, and have live in the lifestyle that they've had to live for the last couple of years. Uh, trust me, they they're very motivated to get to work and uh, to go ahead and, and take some jobs here once they get on campus. We're taking your questions here in the mailbag. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus with Matt Reynoldson. Looking at the quality of recruits after the early signing period, obviously this is a different situation now. Nebraska still has quite a few guys left on their board, but what significant needs does Nebraska still have to fill in the second signing period? Well, they need more receivers and defensive backs, as you heard Scott Frost, and they need pass rushers. I I still don't, Nate, and I think you can attest to this, I don't see anybody coming in 
that's going to be an immediate impact guy as a pass rusher. No, I, I think if if you're if you're going to bring in another junior college guy uh, in this class, I think that you would look to bring in a, a pass rusher, um, you know, a defensive end. Um, I know they, they actually had one guy who was set to visit um, you know, once the, the dead period was over with, and he actually committed and signed elsewhere. So, uh, But I, yeah, I do think you need a pass rusher. Um, you, you know, obviously wide receiver and cornerback are big needs. Uh, I also think you need to bring in a couple, at least one offensive tackle, maybe even two, uh, if you can make it work. So uh, those, to me, those are the biggest needs. Well, it is a mailbag, so it's a mixed bag. So we're mixing in a basketball question here. Okay. Is there any way we Yay. can trust the basketball team yet? Uh, I don't know. There's been too much inconsistency so far to say, yes, you can fully buy in to this team, you know, make, getting them back to the NCAA tournament. I mean, when they're good, yes, they are a legitimate NCAA tournament team. But far too often, we've seen stretches of when they're bad. Um, you know, I guess it's been fewer and far between than in previous years. But uh, right now, I'd say the jury is still out. But I think that it's definitely trending towards being closer to trusting them. They have so many scoring options, and that's what jumps out to me at all the games. I mean, it's it's a different guy every yeah, night. It's more than just one or two guys. And, and the makeup, yeah. And I remember so many people, Robin, overreacted when guys left this team, uh, like Jacobson and Morrow. And, None and, of those guys would even start for yeah, this team. Yeah, and, and you know, they left because they saw some of these guys. And I, you're right. I don't know if those guys would have been a factor on this team because they are considerably better than they were a year ago. They would help with defense and rebounding. That's about it. One of the next questions in the mailbag here, who are the top targets for Nebraska coming out of this early signing period, going into the dead period? Who are two or three top names that Nebraska might want to look out for? Nate? Well, I think, you know, one one guy uh, to really keep an eye on is, is uh, Miles Jones, who's a four-star athlete out of uh, American Heritage High School in, in Plantation, Florida, uh, kind of a powerhouse program down there in, in South Florida. Uh, Miles is, is uh, again, another real real speedy, dynamic player, could could be a wide receiver, could be a running back even. Um, you know, Javion Hawkins is a kid uh, that – that they've been looking at possibly as a as another utility athlete on the offensive side of the football as a wide receiver or a running back too. Uh, he's committed to Louisville, but he did not sign uh, you know during the early signing period, or at least not on Wednesday. Uh, so you know those are a couple guys I think to to really keep an eye on. Uh, there's a couple of offensive tackles uh, actually from the state of Georgia, uh, Hamilton Hall. Uh, and Jerron uh, Koss uh, to, to, you know, that could play offensive tackle. I know uh, Hamilton Hall is listed as a guard, but I think they, they think he could play tackle. So. And we'll, we'll break down all that more in our next segment. I'm going to throw one more in there, Nate, before we let Matt wrap it up. Um, Milton Sarball, Omaha North, is another mm-hmm. in-state guy that, you know, they're, they've kicked the tires on to watch as a late name. But what do you got here to wrap up the mailbag? One last question. If you were a recruit and you wanted to make your announcement, would you do hat ceremony? Would you do a Bleacher Report video? How would you do your announcement to commit to a school? I think I would just do a simple tweet. Um, I've seen it now and followed it a lot over the years. And I, I, I just think keeping it simple with an announcement and some general interviews is the way to go. Um I know guys want the attention and it's so addicting, addicting to want to addictive to want to get all that attention. But 
I think the smart play is is just to, to play it down the middle and, and not try to overdo it. I would probably wait until about 8 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve uh, and do some sort of tweet video where I'm like chainsawing down a tree and then in the stump is the school that I'm going to attend. That'd be my plan. Yeah, um, I'm not going that route. And I'm definitely, now that I, with my perspective, I'm not doing anything on a holiday. Please, for the love of God, stop doing things Let's on see, holiday. Let's see, July 4th, yeah. Christmas. Memorial Day weekend. I mean, what, whatever, holiday. This, hey, leave Memorial Day weekend alone, by yeah. the way. That's like, but it, I have a feeling that that's not going to be the case going forward, no, unfortunately. definitely not. I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think for me, yeah, I think, a, a you know, a simple commitment tweet would probably be the deal. And then, you know, I'd, I'd do a signing day ceremony but uh, not a big production yeah i would definitely say i would um take a screenshot of the notes in my phone make sure my battery is only at like four percent put a ton of typos in there and say no interviews. even have like the red and and respect the decision yep respect the decision with two (laughs) emoji exclamation points 100 all right well when we come back uh we will close the show with some more thoughts on recruiting in this class and kind of what lies ahead for scott frost and his staff as they move on now to their bowl preparation and recruiting Uh, that's next here you're listening to the husker online show You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, This is unusual with an early signing period, and I think everybody was finding their way through this first year. It made it even more difficult uh, for a lot of guys that have changed jobs like we have. Uh, But again, I feel good about where we are. Um, I I, I didn't want to come in and try to fill a class in two weeks because that doesn't give us enough time to evaluate and get to know people and develop relationships. There's a lot of work left to be done, but I think... uh, we got a good start on it, and I like where we landed from a number standpoint. And welcome back here to the Hanscar Line Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we close things out here, as we kind of put a bow on this early signing class for Nebraska, Nate. And um, I'll be honest, if this staff wasn't fully intact with all their operations people and all their assistants coming in together, it would have been really interesting, Nate, to see what this would have looked like. Because I don't know – even if it would have been close to what they accomplished and, and they still got a lot of work to do ahead of them, but um, what they were able to get done um, was no easy task. No, it really wasn't. Um, and for, for them to hit the ground running the way that they did and, and be as organized and as f- efficient in recruiting, you know, in those two weeks essentially that they had, um, I mean, that was something I've never ever seen, and and there's no way that would have been possible had they not kept the whole staff intact, um, especially with the head coach, because um, his not only you know is is he already being kind of pushed and pulled in a couple different directions and uh, a couple different you know big things have his attention, but uh, then if if he was trying to to fill out a staff and and make a whole bunch of other decisions on top of everything else that that would have slowed the process down. Um, you know, when you look back or when I look back at at some of the other transitions and especially ones that I was involved with, um, nothing nothing that I've ever seen um, or been a part of uh, went as smoothly as what we saw transpire uh, from December second all the way up to uh, the twentieth. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we put a bow on this early signing class, Nate and. You, you look at what the guys they signed, um, you know, the obvious one, Martinez, but I'm telling you, the guy I'm most excited about right now after after we learn more is Greg Bell. And I know we've talked about him a little bit already in the show, but you, you look at what 
he did. And I, I found a old uh, Twitter video he posted almost over a year ago, year and a half ago of him box jumping like a 60 inch box jump. And this thing has gone viral with Husker fans and just the explosion, the athletic ability, six foot, 200 pounds, a proven runner at the highest level of Juco ball. I'm mean, very intrigued what he looks like when he gets on campus here in spring ball. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, that's definitely, he, he's one of the, one of the, uh, I guess you know top guys in this class. One of I mean one of the guys, one of the crown jewels of the class, I guess you'd say. Um, and and he's going to have an opportunity to make a whole heck of a lot of noise um, because he, he's such a great fit um, for what Scott Frost does in this offense. He and he's he's going to be on campus early. So um, he, another guy that I really really like is his teammate Jaron Woodyard. Uh, I think. Anytime you can inject that type of speed into onto a team, he's got an opportunity to make an, uh, a difference. And like then, in high school, he had to be one of the faster guys in Maryland, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 10 6 1, 100 meter guy, um, you know, verified in, in Maryland as a high schooler. So. Um, you know, I think I think that uh, anytime you bring that type of speed onto a team, you got an opportunity to make a difference. But then when you kind of marry that with the offense that Scott Frost is going to be running, um, you know, they have a, they have a, kind of a a guy that they could get real creative with here. So um, and you know, and, and as far as the high school guys go, um, you know, I, I think long term. A guy like Tate Wildeming, to me, is is going to end up being uh, a steal. And I know he was just bumped up to four stars by rivals, uh, but I, I think that his future is extremely bright. I, I can't wait to see how this kid develops because I think he's going to be a big-time, big-time player. For and Nebraska right always has had success in Colorado. I mean, I feel like all the way back to the Solich era, they've been able to go in there and cherry-pick a top guy every year um, and, and, and that, that's a, I don't know why it is. Maybe it's just because the Buffaloes aren't consistent anymore. Um, and other teams don't necessarily go in there, but Nebraska typically has had success finding top guys there. Yeah, they really have. I mean, you, you go, go all the way back to, um, you know, Frank Solich even got some guys out Corey of Corey Ross, Josh yeah, Davis. Yeah. And the, Jeremiah mean, Searles. They've gotten, they've gotten a lot of good players out of there over the years. And, uh, you know, it's funny because, uh, I think it was on on the early signing day. I saw, um, I think it's the the Colorado offensive coordinator. Uh, he put out a tweet bragging about uh, how how well they did in state. The, they 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 got three of the top six in state guys uh, this year, and it was kind of bragging about it. Um, and, and they got the number one guy and then the number five and six guy. Uh, Tate Wildeman is, is ranked as the number two uh, in-state player there in Colorado uh, that Nebraska was able to, to pull out of there. So, uh, and, I, I Adrian, think, and Adrian Jackson is the number one guy, and he's going to Mullen, or going to Oregon as an outside linebacker. Yeah, well, well yeah, he was using like three different recruiting services to kind of uh, make his point uh, look a little bit better there too. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, I think that kind of tells you what what their in-state recruiting has been like lately. Is is when you're when you're bragging about keeping three of the six uh, in-state guys, um, you know, at their home. Uh, you know, that's that's not over overly great. At least I wasn't impressed by that. So, um, and that's going to continue to be a state that that Nebraska needs to needs to have a presence in, um, especially in 2019. They've got a lot of talent. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of talent in the 500 mile radius for 2019. So I know that um, I know that there's 
obviously this staff has a lot of connections in Florida and, and Georgia, um, down in the southeast. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they attack this 500-mile radius um, you know, we know that there's going to be a presence at home here in Nebraska, but uh, like I said, there's Denver, St. Louis, um, you know, there's Minneapolis even has some 2019. There's, there's a lot of talent here coming up. Now, Nate, going forward after um, this break, uh, there'll be about a month off before coaches can have prospects on and visit. I think January 12th is when it opens back up again. What do you anticipate that's going to be like? I mean, how, I mean, what kind of balance are you going to see from advanced recruiting to finishing out the class. And I think for Nebraska this year, it's obviously going to be a little bit different um, when they move forward. But there's good names still out there. Michael Thompson still on the market. Daniel Carson, um, a number of targets um, down in probably the Florida in the south that Nebraska can can look at here to try to close this class out with. Yeah, well, I think what we're going to see is, um, you know, they're, they're going to have a good opportunity here over the next week or two, um, and especially after the, the Peach Bowl is over. Uh, to kind of evaluate, you know, exactly what their needs are um, and then uh, exactly who's left out there and say, okay, these are guys that maybe we had a connection with, uh, uh, you know, through various various sources or, or whatever, some sort of connection with that are, that are kind of uh, not only highly, highly touted guys but fit what we want to do. Um, and I think we're going to see them make a run at, at some – uh, it's some big names here uh, and at least try to uh, if they don't have a connection at least try to create one or establish one now that they've got a little bit more time and they're not quite as rushed you know you heard Scott Frost talk about well um, you know we really haven't had a great time or a great amount of time to to spread our message um, I think they're going to really hit that home uh, and if the, hey if they do well in the bowl game they might have a little momentum on that front too so um, I, I think that we're going to see them kind of start a little slow in terms of official visitors uh, out of the gate. I mean, maybe you know that that January twelfth weekend will be some guys that they had already talked about visiting um, in December, but they ended up pushing back to to January. Uh, but I think those last couple weekends leading up to signing day, that's when we're going to see some really big monster weekends, and and uh, I'm anticipating some bigger names to to make their way to Lincoln uh, for a couple of those weekends. Well, it should be fun to follow, but. Uh, I want to take this opportunity, Nate, to wish everybody that listens to the show on the website happy holidays. Uh, we will be back again, obviously, next week uh, with another edition of the Husker Online Show. But this early signing day, this month of December, it has been made um, a ride, and uh, we can finally catch our breath here for a little bit. Yeah, it's been it's been a fun one, that's for sure. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.